Today, learn how you can create a culture of respect by leading through curiosity. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Dr. Julie Pham is the founder and CEO of Curiosity Based, helping people and teams build trust, collaboration, and inclusion by fostering curiosity. She's the author of Seven Forms of Respect, which provides a unique perspective through her experience bridging cultures, sectors, and viewpoints. Julie has a natural gift for getting people to rethink assumptions about respect, inclusion, and communication. And today, we'll hear some of the stories about how this has helped shape organizations for the better. Julie, welcome to Unbound. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Chris. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, and there's, again, I feel like I say this on a lot of different podcasts. Uh, there are so many directions that we can go that uh, it, this really will be fun to just like explore the conversation. So uh, let's start with your origin story. So a really important part of my identity is that I am a Vietnamese boat person. I came to the U.S. with my parents when I was two months old. We fled Vietnam. Um, that was in 1979. My father had been sentenced to, he had been put in a communist re-education camp for three years after the war. And when he was released, he knew we had to leave. And um, so you know, Julie is actually my English name. I actually have a Vietnamese name, which means uh, which is Huai Hung, and that means to remember one's homeland. And my parents gave me that name because they knew that they weren't going to come back. And so that's a really important part of my identity, the fact that we came here for freedom, and that's been a recurring theme in in my life, uh, my own search for in my and my wanting to help people get that too. Awesome. And so well, let's get into just uh, how you or why you decided to... Yeah. Uh, to found curiosity based. Yes. So, um, so I started, well, actually a little bit more about my background is my parents founded the first privately owned Vietnamese language newspaper. So I grew up with hustlers. They were the hustlers among hustlers. I, I trained as an academic. So I actually have a PhD in history. And as I was finishing up my dissertation, I realized I, I wanted to go into business. I didn't want to stay in academia. So I came back to Seattle 19, uh, this was 2008, just at the wake of the great recession. And I got my real life MBA by running my family's Vietnamese newspaper. <laughs> and Chris, you know what happened in 2008, also global decline of the newspaper industry, worked in tech for about 10 years. And, and that last six years of that, and this gets into why I started Curiosity Based, I, uh, I was doing a lot of work bringing together people from different sectors. And I had also, by that time, part of my getting my real life MBA was doing a lot of community building, a lot of uh, community organizing, getting volunteers to come together. And so what I saw was, uh, I, um, and I actually think of this as my second real life PhD in organizational development this, this time, what I saw, some people really thrived and some people really struggled in this. Uh, it was a volunteer program for six months and they had to go build something. And by the third cohort, it's like, why is it some people are thriving and some people are really struggling? And what it came down to was curiosity. That was the difference. So the people who were struggling were just, oh my gosh, like I want that we, uh, they were very fixated on a certain outcome. They wanted to, things to go according to plan. And when things didn't, it was, they really, it was really hard. And then there were those who were just, oh my gosh, look at what we're learning. I didn't know this. We created something out of nothing. And what we saw on teams was that there are a lot of 
kind of middle people in the middle who could be swayed. And so if we had a critical mass of people who were practicing curiosity, that was contagious and it could uplift the morale. And the inverse was true. If you had more people who were just fixated on an outcome, then it could actually take down the morale of a team. And so, Chris, one of the painful things I had to learn was, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this having been in the military, it's like sometimes we try to save people, right? Try to, oh, no, you want to be a part of this. And I spent a lot of time in my early cohorts trying to save the people who were really struggling until I learned to ask one critical question. The question was, do you want to learn from other people here? Do you think you can learn from other people here? And if they said no, or if they said, I don't know, sometimes they said it's yes, but it'll take me too long. That's when I was like, okay, we got to get you off. <laughs> like, Because if you don't think you can learn from other people here, then we got to replace you with someone who does want to learn from other people here. Because that I think is actually the spirit of curiosity. And so that's where I was just get doing that, which is, oh, I don't want to just do this for this program. I what imagine, I mean, I'm doing this with volunteers. Imagine what could happen if we brought this into organizations where people are paid to work together. And we spend so much time at work. How we feel at work impacts the rest of our lives, every other area of our life. We bring that bad attitude home to our family. And so that's why I was just, oh, if we can help people feel good at work, then that is, that's, that's the impact, the positive impact I want to have in the world. Right. Two, two things first. Uh, one, I think that's what resonated me the most during our pre-interview. Mm -hmm. uh, just that, because the whole reason I got into leadership coaching was because we actually get to impact the employees. Mm -hmm. And so they get to go home and they get to spend better time and volunteer more and like live better lives. That helps everybody. Why would we not want to do that? Uh, but I want to go deeper on just, so I, I reworded this on my notepad mm -hmm. uh, to how I would say it. But so if, if you don't think you can learn from others, find a new home. Uh, <laughs> so I, and, I, I wouldn't do it as a threat. That but, sounds like an ultimatum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, it seems to come down to the growth mindset mm -hmm. and just the individuals who don't necessarily want to learn from others. It's because they believe either they know better, right? Or they're just not willing to put in that effort to learn. Um, and you know what was fascinating was it was actually because we one of the things about this about this program is we try to recruit people from really different parts in the organization because we want as much diversity as possible. So we had people who were super senior with people who were really junior and people. I mean, the age gaps on one, we had someone who was a 75 year old, formerly incarcerated um, nonprofit leader and a like, 23 year old software dev. <laughs> right. And and they were on the same team. What we found was. More often than not, it was the people who were junior in their career who were much more fixed. It was what I thought was really interesting. And coming into the program, because this is a volunteer program, the people who were really senior were just, I just want to learn. I had to make decisions all day long. I want to be in an environment where I get to be the student. Wow. That's a, yeah, that is not what you would expect. Because mm -hmm. I feel like most teams that I go to, people almost want to, discount those who are inexperienced because it's like they don't realize that hey most inexperienced people are coming in with a fresh set of eyes right they don't have any preconceived notions on how something should be done and so they're 
they're willing to learn and bring new ideas to the table. But it was here, the junior but, ones were just like, right. no, we're they the have opposite. certain, and I thought that was really, I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> they had a much more of like, I want this to be a leadership development program and I want curriculum that looks like this. And I, and it's like, that's not what this is. This is actually much more experiential. This is learning from one another. These are having conversations. And they were just, no, this is not what I, this is not what I expected and wanted. Yeah. I, I wonder if that was mainly because these individuals were very goal focused and they had, they were set on that idea of what their ideal situation would be. And they just couldn't move mm -hmm. from that where someone more experienced was like, no, I want to see everything. Like I'm willing to flex. Yeah. And you know, and actually, you know, I've, I've been describing curiosity as a practice. And so, um, and as something we do. So I think of it more as a verb. Usually we describe curiosity as something we have as a noun or something we are as a, as an adjective. And so when we think about curiosity as a verb, we can actually, it's, it's kind of liberating because it means I'm not going to always practice curiosity. I, I cannot always practice curiosity. And, and so there are times, Chris, where I'm just like, no, I'm feeling pretty close-minded right now. <laughs> like, I just want to tell that person why I'm right. And I'm thinking about that. And that means I'm not ready. I'm not practicing curiosity. And that happens to all of us, and which means none of us are perfect. None of us are doing things right 100% all the time, right? And, and so a lot of my work is actually also helping people kind of forgive themselves when that happens, because I think when we can forgive ourselves, we can recognize it. We can actually, it's actually in this trying to be perfect that can actually hold us back. Yeah. I like viewing, I can't remember where I initially read this, like this setup, but people have opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Mm. And it basically like grows in how strong that feeling mm -hmm. is. You know, so like an opinion should be pretty weakly held. Like you, you can have tons of opinions, but when you get new information, you change your mm -hmm. mind because you learn something. Um, and we should be constantly trying to change those because that's what's going to develop our beliefs where we have some more experience and then convictions, which is like, I'm going to die on this hill, mm -hmm. right? Like this is uh, something big has happened in my life that tells me this is it. And I think a big challenge in society today is that people are taking opinions and treating mm. them like convictions and they're you know, they're willing to die on the hill, but it's something that they, I just gave you new information and you're not even willing to consider it. Uh, and so I love that treating curiosity as a verb, mm -hmm. I think is the perfect way. How are you practicing curiosity mm -hmm. right now? And like making sure your opinions are the ones that you want to turn into beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I love that uh, definition, but let's, let's go further. Yeah. We can, I feel we're already going <laughs> off on a different direction. Uh, so how does your background specifically, uh, you know, Vietnamese refugee, uh, how has that shaped kind of your views on respect and curiosity, taking that one culture and now merging it, right? I think, yes, I, I think of, I think of respect and respect as being much more fluid. So I think that, um, actually in the, in the, sometimes in the U S it's very much black and white winners, losers. I mean, even as a historian, as a historian of the Vietnam War, I see a lot of this, like this, this is who won, this is who lost. And I think of it as much more fluid than that. And I think that my um, having, having grown up Vietnamese in the U.S., having lived in the U.K., Germany, France and Vietnam as an adult, I would see that we just have different expectations and it and it changes depending on the context. And so 
respect, I mean, we talk about respect as if it's fixed and universal, as if we mean the same thing. So Chris, I could say, Chris, I need you to respect me. And you say, Julie, I am respecting you. And you know what that assumes is that we are thinking of the same thing. Now, imagine if I said, Chris, I like to be respected in this way, in these forms. That assumes that you want to respect me that you mean to respect me. And I'm letting you know how I want to receive it, which might be different because we can actually agree on what respect feels like. We disagree on what it looks like and how that, and how my background, my lived experience, my community building, all of that work that I did with people from working in different sectors um, who had very different, came from different ethnicities, uh, different cultures, they all frictions emerge because we have different expectations and yet we don't have a language to talk about that. All we say is we want respect. And yet we are not going to that next level of, I want respect to look like this. And this is why this is why. And that's the next level, not just, Oh, and I want it to look like this is then to be able to explain. And this is why it matters to me. Because if people can understand why something matters to you, then they will remember it so much more. Yeah, This is probably the, the perfect time to ask about the, uh, the seven forms of respect and just getting into that framework. Can you, can you go deeper and just explain it? Yes. Yes. So, so it is a communication and relationship framework and we can agree on what respect feels like. What we disagree is what does it look like? And so here are the, these are the seven forms. I've got a little bookmark here <laughs> and we use this, uh, we use this acronym PICA, P-P-I-C-C-A-A. And it stands for procedure, punctuality, information, candor, consideration, um, acknowledgement and attention. And so this is, I always like to say seven forms of respect is more like five level languages, not like seven habits of highly effective people. So it's not about getting all seven. And some people are like, Oh, to be respectful, I need to have all seven. No, <laughs> it's actually about figuring out what are the ones that matter to me, like really matter to me versus what I think should matter to me. Because we've all been socialized to think, oh, respect should look like this and I should get this. And yet what we don't ask ourselves is what actually matters to me so much, I will do it even if I know it doesn't matter to the other person because it's part of how I think of myself, not, not, it's not just in relationship to the other person. Right. How, how often do these kind of change for an individual? Like, all the time, <laughs> because even yeah. think about our moods, right? We wake up and we're in a good mood and we're so much more, um, open to what people might, uh, some, some, we might get irritated. Like it might be much harder to be, to be irritated. Um, and it also depends on who we are with. So, the, um, I've talked about how respect is dynamic and that depends on these three dimensions. The first is hierarchy. The second is give versus get. And the third is what matters to you. So that first one, hierarchy, especially in the workplace, and Chris, you know this because you're in the military, hierarchy exists in the world. <laughs> and there are people who have more power, equal power, less power. Even if I am a solopreneur, people have more power than me are my clients. People have less power than me are my vendors, right? I could be working by myself and they're still, whether we're conscious or unconscious about it, and that affects, that's going to influence how we think about our expectations around respect. So, you know, you asked how often does this come up? It comes up all the time and, and, and it comes up so 
quickly, we're not even thinking about it. We just feel a certain way. And this is why I say that respect is also contradictory. And for some people that means, oh, am I a hypocrite then? We're all hypocritical. I mean, how many times have we said like, do this thing and we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> we told someone else, right? That's my all kids. the time. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. So, um, and so it's about naming it. And it's also about asking myself, huh, why am I feeling this way? Uh, so that's, that's, so you asked how, how often it changes yeah. all the time. Yeah. Well, and going off the, uh, the idea of there's like constant hierarchy. Uh, I think one of the lessons that I learned from working in marketing, you know, for a while is that everything kind of ties back to status, every purchase you're mm-hmm. going to make, everything you're doing, whether it's social status, your, your personal status, right? The, the millionaire who buys uh, a very expensive car because he wants people to know he's a millionaire, a millionaire mm-hmm. who buys mm-hmm. a very cheap car because he wants the people who matter to him to not change the status there. And I think that does tie back to the, the hierarchy. And then when you look mm-hmm. at the forms of how that actually, the forms of respect, right? And how that influences things, I think it's a very interesting, um, just yeah, idea, what like you concept. get it is like that. There's the, there's like this, the expectations around certain hierarchy. And yet we all also have our individual choice to, to, um, uh, to have a, a individual reason. So for example, with, um, with hierarchy for, I remember talking to someone who said, Hey, when, um, usually if we have to make a decision of who we're going to be late to a meeting with someone who's my boss or someone who is, <laughs> who reports to me, it's just like someone who reports to me is going to understand, you know, someone who's more junior to me that is going to understand. And yet there was this one person who was very high up and she remembers when she was very junior in her career all the senior people would constantly be late to her meetings. And so she said, when I get to that point, I'm going to be really extra intentional about being on time because other people, my peers, they can wait. I want to, I, it matters to me because that was her ex- early experience. And I just want to be really clear. It's about being able to explain the story, our story. We all have our own reasons. It's not about this is the right or wrong. It's, it's just we all have our own stories and people usually don't actually even probe into why do, why does this matter to me? And so that part of, um, some forms of respect is really about practicing curiosity. Right. And that it, first part of practicing curiosity is on ourselves. And it, it just knowing the seven forms has caused mm-hmm. me to be more curious about myself where mm-hmm. with like acknowledgement, I will happily pass off, acknowledge like if, if team project, I can be leading it. I'm going to pass the praise to everyone on the team. They did this work. It was all them. Mm-hmm. But if I ever have someone who we worked on something together or they took one of my ideas and then they claim credit for it, it bothers me. Like, I don't ne- mm-hmm. don't always say mm-hmm. something, but it's like you didn't even you could have just said, like, I was talking to Chris and we did this. But for some reason, it really like gets up, you know, gets after me. And I, I do yeah. feel like it's a respect issue. Uh, yeah. And you yeah. know, the thing is, Chris, when I, that question of what matters to you, that is actually the hardest question to ask because mm-hmm. we are battling with what should matter to us it shouldn't matter to me that I don't get credit, right? Like for me, it took a long time to admit acknowledgement is important to me because it felt a little cringy. And yet, like, if I'm going to be honest, it does matter to me. And so, because the self, there's also self-respect in this and I have to respect myself to be able to be honest with myself. And it's like, this is what I need. And can I do that? Because if we can't do that, how do we expect other people to know? Right. Same, same boat. It was like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need people to praise me. I'm good, but it feels really good when you do. And like, mm-hmm. I feel you know, it motivates me. So like, uh, 
But and awesome. so and then I was like, you know what? I just want you to know acknowledgement is important to me. And then it's like, right. oh, and I just said it. That we're saying what we need versus like hoping that people will guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So within an organization, what are some of the ways that you go about like helping to foster curiosity, right? Help mm-hmm. the team just ask the right questions so that they're even just thinking they're in that mindset to think this way. Oh my gosh. First, Chris, it starts with asking questions, not even asking the right questions. <laughs> Cause I actually think that there's no right or wrong question. There's no stupid question. 70% of um, individual contributors say they face barriers asking questions at work. So I actually think we just have a problem asking questions at work. It doesn't matter what kind of questions. <laughs> and, um, and so, and we take that for granted. So I, th- I hear a lot of organizations that say, yes, we value curiosity. Yes, we want curiosity. And then I talk to the employees and it's just, mm, no, we're not. So asking questions, we then, I mean, I think that, you know, you're in leadership coaching is how do leaders model that? How do they model saying, even just, can you tell me what that acronym means? Right. Because then it's like, oh, it's okay to ask that. Not in a, because, you know, there are ways we can be very pointed and people can feel put on the spot. And yet, if it's, I remember this professor I had who was, he was, I mean, he was a really big professor. He was knighted, okay, by the queen. And he would just always ask this, like, these simple questions. And it was like, oh, thank goodness he asked, (laughs) right? Because we all had that question. And so, and yet he modeled then that it was okay to do that. So I think that. It does. I think we, number one, I think everyone in the org has responsibility. Because if you think about, say, a classroom, a teacher can say, be curious. But if there are mean kids in the class who are bullies, then they can have an outsized um, influence. So I do think it's up to even peers. and um, But leaders can model it by asking questions, by um, um, by by even expecting, hey, I'm going to speak last. In the meeting, I want everyone to chime in their opinion first. Um, we can even one of one tip I really like is to have people rotate who's facilitating a meeting, because oftentimes the leader is the de facto facilitator. You can actually have other people facilitate and rotate that and take on that responsibility, and then you know what? They also develop empathy for the leader too when they have to do that. Right. Yeah, I'm even wondering now how many times. So I had one leader in the military who would look around when there was a question proposed and he would just mm-hmm. pick someone and say, what would you say to that? And like, mm-hmm. just pick people to kind of identify, to show either that mm-hmm. we're not asking the right questions. We need to ask better questions. Some people don't understand what we're talking about in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just doing that caused everybody to kind of come back and let's make sure you know we are asking different things. Um, yeah, that... All right, I'm going now. Now I'm going off on a th- thought train that we don't need to. Uh, we don't need to run down. Um, the one of the other things I was just thinking of while you were talking was the the idea that if every so your thoughts are driven by questions, right? Every thought you have it's because you're asking yourself something, right? Am, am I mm-hmm. hungry right now? Will drive mm-hmm. a think a thought of going to get food. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think if if you can encourage people to just be asking asking those questions to themselves, they probably will start naturally asking them mm-hmm. out loud. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and awesome. so actually one of the things, um, cause you know, I've talked about how curiosity as a practice. And so another, uh, I like to, um, 
so when we're having difficult conversations, I have a structure to help people think through difficult, how to have a difficult conversation. And, and this could be say in form of feedback, right? And usually that's just, you did this. I didn't like it. Now I'm waiting for you to react, right? And what we can do is we can ask a question. Can we talk? And sometimes that question is consent. Are you open to hearing more of what I have to say? Or how I feel about that. Is this an okay time to talk about it? It could be a leading question. Hey, let's say, Chris, you were on the phone the entire time we were meeting and it's bothering me. Hey, Chris, were you checking in with your daughter? Because I know she's sick. And you can say yes or no, but now it's going to have this initiated conversation versus I just said, you're on your phone the whole time and I didn't like it. And then that forces you to react and it and put you on the defensive. Asking questions can actually open up this conversation. And here's the thing that I, um, when I'm working with teams, because when I show this structure, sometimes there are people who are like, why do I have to ask a question when I, cl- uh, I know why they did it? It seems passive. I know why yeah, they did it. Right. And so then, <laughs> so, <do you? laughs> so then, so then I, um, so then I say, you've got to ask yourself two questions before you enter this conversation. Here are the two questions. The first question is, do I want this person to learn from me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna teach them some things. I'm gonna give them peace of my mind. Second question: Am I willing to learn from this person? Can you honestly say you are willing to learn from this person? And it's okay if you say no. It's okay if you say not now. It's it's about actually slowing down so we recognize our emotions, so we don't perform curiosity, so we don't pretend that we, we want to understand when we're not ready to, and we're just listening for the parts that we're going to convince them that we're right. Because I've done that. I've been there, right? Where I'm actually not ready. And yet I feel I should be, and I feel like I should respond. And in those times, what I've learned to do and what I've advised other people to do is it's okay to say, I need some time. We don't have to respond right away. We don't have to react right away. I like that. So I really like the concept that curiosity can lower someone's guard, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, it takes them off the defensive because mm-hmm. most people do want to be heard and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it, it almost gives into a, like respect, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm willing to hear from you because I respect you uh, for mm-hmm. really, you could probably tie that to various, uh, forms within your, your seven forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows uh, that we're not going to assume their intention. Right. Right. Because then it's just like, I don't know what you're, and I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I've, I've, I use this on myself and I'm slow and I'm like, okay, okay. Well, how do I form the question? Most of the time I'm so surprised by the answer they've given me. It's not what I expected. And that's, and that's the part of just like, are we willing to be surprised? Are we willing to learn from whatever versus like, I know why they did this. Cause do we really know? Right. Yeah. That was a, I think I'd run into that battle with my children. all the time. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so for individuals who would want to be more curious, mm-hmm. right. What are some of the things they can be practicing like on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Just to, something they keep front of mind so that they're actually working on this skill. Listening. Listening is really big, especially the more we advance in our careers, the talking muscle is more obvious than the listening muscle. And so to really practice listening and as I'm listening, um, 
trying to understand what is this person saying? Would I be able to recap it back if I don't understand? Or even just to recap it back, just to, hey, because sometimes I think I really understand something and then I play it back and that's not what, uh, that's not what, um, what I understood. And they were sometimes, it's just like the way they explained it, there's just something lost in translation. Right. So I think that listening, um, even just saying like, I'm not going to ask any questions in this meeting. I am just going to listen for the first five. I'm just going to let them talk. So that's one. Um, then there, there is asking questions. And so another practice is sometimes we have, we have a statement we want to say, like, uh, we can't afford that. That's out of budget. And then how would it be if we reframed it as a question? What do we need to do to how, why does it cost that much? Or are there other ways we can get that? And so it's reframing it as a question, then starts this dialogue versus, no, we can't afford that. So those are just two simple tips. Questions breed conversations. Yes. And asking yourself, Ashley, that's the, before I accuse someone else of being disrespectful, <laughs> to ask myself, and actually to, I actually differentiate between disrespect and lack of respect. Disrespect is intentional. Disrespect is, Chris, I know you don't like it and I did it anyway, right? Versus lack of respect is, I didn't know that mattered to you, Chris. And you never told me. You actually said it was okay. All the other times I did it. <laughs> so I didn't know. So is it really disrespectful if I didn't know? And maybe you even said it wasn't a big deal. And so to kind of slow down and go, okay, was this disrespectful? Do I think this was disrespectful or was this a lack of respect? And also, why does it matter to me? Because I need to be able to articulate it to myself before I can have a conversation with them about it. Because if I can't say it to myself, if I can't explain it to myself, then how can I expect someone else to know mm -hmm. why it matters to me? Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, all right. I'm going to ask you uh, another question. Mm -hmm. or I'd, hopefully you're equipped for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the rubber band rule. Oh, yes. yes. Could, could you, could you just walk through yes. that for everybody? Yes. So the rubber Even band better rule. If you're watching the video. <laughs> yes. So the rubber band rule. So this is in contrast to the golden rule, which is treat people the way you want to be treated. Cause maybe they don't want that. It's also not the platinum rule, which is treat people the way they want to be treated. Cause maybe you don't want to treat them the way they want to be treated. <laughs> There's the rubber band rule, which shows we are stretchy. We as humans, we can stretch to accommodate. So Chris, maybe you want to be respected in certain forms and I'm kind of ambivalent, but I'll, I'll stretch for you. And then let's say we're in group settings or at work. And there are some things that our manager really like other people really like, and I'm like, I don't like it. Everyone's praising each other. I think that's so superficial, but I'll do it. And I'm stretching and I'm stretching and I'm stretching until one day I snap, <laughs> I snap and break like a rubber band. And so the rubber band rule is about, I need to know what my internal breaking points are. I need to know what's going to make me snap. And that's different for other people. Then going back to, if I can't articulate that for myself, if I can't say that, then how can I expect other people? And everyone's rubber band is different. Some people are super stretchy and big and other people are like, I'm a tight little rubber band. These are my boundaries. Cool. <laughs> it's about knowing that for yourself. And maybe the rubber band changes for when you're with your family versus your coworkers, because that can change too. Yeah. And so as far as like identifying your internal breaking mm -hmm. points, yeah. are there things you should be doing to like certain questions that you recommend people ask to get after them quicker? Yeah. Why, why am I feeling, what am I feeling? Because sometimes the first thing we say is we're angry and actually what we're feeling is disappointment. 
or maybe what we're feeling is envy, right? And there are these other feelings that are, but like, it's easy. I think it's easy to say I'm angry, which can feel self-righteous, right? Like they did this, I'm angry. And actually what we're really feeling is like, I'm so hurt. And then to get at the, and to get at why. And then I also think it can be really helpful once we get to a point, we can share this with someone else and kind of talk through it with them because it's helped me so much to just pause and talk through it with someone else to prepare myself for a conversation with a person who, um, who I had that interaction with. Gotcha. Awesome. Julie, this has been an awesome episode. I want to dive into uh, my three final mm-hmm. questions. Uh, first, what book separate from your own mm-hmm. do you think everyone should read? So I just finished reading The Good Life, Lessons Learned from the World's Longest Study on Happiness. And I just thought it was I can't remember the authors. There are two Harvard researchers, 84-year-old study, hundreds of people. And they say the key to a good life is good relationships. And one of the ways to get at that is radical curiosity. Awesome. What are the odds they would come up with the uh, <laughs> exact answer? You need? Uh, um, hey, all right. What is uh, next for you professionally? Well, it's to continue growing my growing my small and scrappy team of curiosity base. We are developing a new digital course, and in a few years, I'll work on the book on the uh, some forms of respect in the home, in the personal life. Right now, we focus on the work, and we've been hearing a lot of demand for. Hey, I think that this applies to my home life too. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, finally, where can people find you? So you can find me at curiosity based. That's B A S E D.com. Uh, you can contact me there. Um, you can also go to the forms of respect.com website and there's a free quiz, free mini book. If you don't want to buy the book yet, you can get the free mini book. There's a free digital course. So lots of freebies. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So please find me on LinkedIn. And also we do lots of short videos on YouTube. So I would love anyone to subscribe to our YouTube content. Awesome. Julie, thanks for joining me. Chris, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.